From Relay FM, this is Upgrade, episode 382, and today's show is brought to you by ZocDoc, Memberful, and DoorDash. My name is Mike Hurley, and I'm joined by Jason Snell. Hi, Jason. Hi, Mike. How are you? I'm good, my friend. We've got a lot of stuff to talk about today. Oh, packed show today. Packed yeah. show. And I am recording from an undisclosed location, so Ooh. please don't write in and, and wonder why I sound different. It's because I'm in a different place. That's all. I have a hashtag Snell Talk question. Comes from Chris. Chris wants to know what is your screensaver? Uh, my screensaver is called Ariel, and it is literally the Ariel screensaver from the Apple TV um, put on the Mac. And mm. we talked about this a while ago, and I acted like it was um, the Bill normal. Yeah. And then people pointed out that you can't actually get that on the Mac. And so you have to go to arielscreensaver.github.io. And there's a GitHub project, and it's a, a screensaver module for the Mac. And then it loads all of the aerial uh, imagery imagery that's on the Apple TV. Oh, okay. So, you know. This is different. The last time that we did speak about this, it was all just like, just took to a GitHub page and that was it. But now they at least have like a download thing. Well, you, it's, a Git, it's a GitHub hosted, right? Page, but it's like the project page and it's all pretty and stuff now. So with, yep. it looks. It looks more like a normal piece of software and not just a GitHub project. But yeah, it's uh, it's uh, that's what it is. It's it's just taking that imagery, and I don't really understand why it's not available on uh, the Mac via an Apple thing. But that's what I I did that ages ago, mm. and I'm probably still using an ancient version of it. But that's what I have on my iMac. So if I I it doesn't stay on for very long, but if I uh, wander away from my iMac for a while and then come back, it, there'll usually be some sort of a a flyover happening. Where does it get the videos from? Um, Apple, there is a, um, you can download these videos. There's a known uh, URL that is the, I, I believe there's like a, a JSON file or something that right. shows you, it's 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 the stuff the Apple TV does. Because they do it's, pull them down from the web, right? So they are existing on the internet somewhere. It's just it's yeah. just weird to me that Apple didn't lock that away, you know? But hey-ho, it's great that yeah, they didn't. No, it's a... It's a known URL, so they just load that, and it gives them a list of what's available, and then they pull from there. I think I'm going to put this on my MacBook Pro, I think. Um, mm. On my iMac, I use the Hello screensaver in the matching color of ah. my iMac. I don't know if that one is available on non-M1 iMacs. I don't know. It's the one that like draws the word Hello? I think it's in Monterey. Okay. I think before Monterey, it wasn't available. Uh, it might I think be that's a, right. It's probably available now, but at least on mine, it's in yellow. It's like this is the default one that it shipped with. So um, I just like that. I like it. I think it's fun, and it reminds me of how much I love my little yellow computer. Thank you to Chris for that snow talk question. If you would like to send in a question for us to answer and uh, for us to open an episode of Upgrade, where we will answer it, uh, just send out a tweet with the hashtag snow talk or use question mark snow talk in the Relay FM members Discord. I have a couple of follow up things that we can go through, Jason. The first okay. is that Qualcomm have divulged to their investors on an investor call that they expect eighty percent of their modem chip supply to Apple to fall away in 2023. So they'll only be what they have now, what they're currently supplying. They're expecting to just be supplying 20% of that in 2023 and onwards. So I think it's 
clear that we can assume from this, as you wrote about in Six Colors, uh, that we can expect that this is the time when Apple will be making their own modems, which was something that was expected as a refresher. You may remember Apple were in court with Qualcomm over a like payment dispute for patents and stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. When they, at that time, in one fell swoop, bought Intel's business, like their modem business, uh, and settled with Qualcomm. And part of that settlement is that they would maintain a relationship in the meantime, probably at whatever price Qualcomm wanted them to pay, but Apple didn't want to pay. Uh, and it would come to an end, and it seems like it's going to be coming to an end in 2023. And they have some agreement in there about what patents or uh, patent payments are, are owed and all that, because just because Apple's not going to be uh, in the end, a customer of Qualcomm directly, um, they're probably going to still pay them for whatever patent licensing. Although Apple's got some patents too that were part of the Intel thing. Like it, it's, I, I don't recall exactly um, the details, and I'm not sure how much of that is public. But I would imagine that there will be some amount of uh, of, of payments that Apple's still going to have to make to Qualcomm because Qualcomm has th- these patents. But um, in terms of buying the uh, the silicon, buying the radios from Qualcomm, um, I, I just I enjoy that this story came out in a Qualcomm event because Qualcomm doesn't care. Like that, that was the thing that made me laugh about this story. This story is not unexpected at all, but Qualcomm saying, "Oh yeah." Apple's, you know, and they're telling people, they're warning about losing a customer, a big customer, saying, okay, yeah, by uh, fall of 23, uh, 80% of um, their their modem chip business or 20% of their modem chip business will be Apple and the rest will be gone. And the whole idea there is they don't care. To an, an Apple partner that wants to keep Apple's business is going to keep quiet, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you, you, that's, the, that's the rule. It's like you know you this. Quiet. This is the this is the rule of Apple is is don't cross me. <laughs> Just you every secrecy is the word of the day. Well, Qualcomm doesn't care. Qualcomm doesn't care. So Qualcomm is happy to go out and say, oh yeah, Apple's going to be using their own chips uh, in the new iPhones. You know, really by 2023. So we'll still and they say you know they'll still have some. I imagine that that is their estimate about how many they're going to be supplying for older products that are not so yet legacy node discontinued. A new, a brand new legacy node. Mm-hmm. So here's our time frame for Apple doing 5G. And, and you know, we may see or 5G using their own silicon. We may see it in products before this. It's a little unclear, too. They're talking about Qualcomm's fiscal year. So the question of will it be next fall that they start this process or will it really not be until 23? Will it premiere in maybe a laptop or maybe an iPad before it goes in the iPhone? That's sort of up to Apple to decide how it wants to do it. Um, honestly, it would... I can sort of see it make sense that it might debut in a non-iPhone product just to I really hope they don't <laughs> debut their first ever modem chip in an in their iPhone. In an iPhone? In a big high volume iPhone? This is something that's new for Apple, right? Like it will be new. They might have done a bunch of testing, but it is going to be new and this like the modem that is a cannot be an error. There is no room for yeah. error in the modem of an iPhone, right? Remember when there was the there were Intel and Qualcomm chips, and one of them was like faster than the other one, and every people were like trying to figure out if they could shop for the yep. the iPhones that had the faster chips in them and all. That. It's it's no good. So uh, yeah, I I would not. Uh, I mean, who knows? Apple could do whatever it wants, but I wouldn't be shocked if the, it's in some lower volume product. And literally everything that's not an iPhone is a lower volume product for Apple. Mm-hmm. That it show up in an iPad or something like that before. 
beforehand. But Qualcomm's basically like, yeah, this is going to happen. And this is the only time you get kind of this long-range thing. It's when a a supplier who is not going to be a supplier anymore is happy to say, yep, Apple's taking their business elsewhere, or or in this case, taking their ball and uh, and going home with it because they're going to build these things themselves. Or or we assume maybe integrate them onto the onto the chips, although that's not necessarily the case. Um, so Apple's going to build them. It's going to happen. And Qualcomm says that by fall of twenty three, it will be in in full swing. So that's a that's a that gives us a some extra data about what Apple is doing building its own modems. Thanks, Qualcomm. Yeah, thanks a lot. It's great. It's great to have someone who just doesn't care. And Qualcomm, which is funny because there's that interview with the CEO of Intel who. Um, it was almost the reverse of that, where where you know Apple has gotten away from Intel, and the CEO of Intel is like, "Well, we just got to work to get their business back." And I'm like, I really, yeah, our chips. We, we if we make better chips, they'll come back to us. I was like, I don't think that's ever gonna happen. <laughs> no. And then he and then he sort of hedged and like, or you know, maybe you know, if we we can make their chips for them, right? And it's like, oh, okay. Well, that is more possible as a scenario that if you catch up to TSMC at fabrication that they you could compete with them for apple's business but it was just this really kind of cockeyed optimistic unrealistic kind of like we're going to compete for their business and qualcomm's like yeah they're gone bye (laughs) i feel like that's surely something that they said to make a positive message to shareholders they know that surely they know there's nothing they could do like I don't think Apple necessarily cares about having the fastest chips on the market. They just so happen to have them. Well, I mean, it could become having lived through the PowerPC era. It it, it can become a burden for your platform, but it, it would take a while, and Apple would still have their control. And there's no sign of that really happening. Qualcomm did no. make some, speaking of Qualcomm, make some statements about their, they've got a next generation processor coming from the company that they bought that was founded by people who used to work at Apple doing chip design, right. and that that is targeted at a PC level kind of performance thing. Interesting, but like, let's, and they, they may be able to match or beat Apple, or or it may change the game in some way. But thus far, Apple's already been more than a year ahead of Qualcomm's chips on smartphones in terms of performance. And we've seen where Apple's chips on the Mac are compared to Intel. So right now, Apple's just got a big lead. And it may it may change, but I think the I think the Intel CEO <laughs> First off, I think maybe learned his lesson when about that whole uh, lifestyle company from Cupertino joke that he made. But also, I think that he's sending a message that Intel is going to try, right? Mm-hmm. Like Intel, I- Intel is going to keep working at it, and uh, they're going to be able to compete with Apple. And even if Apple doesn't switch, like we're going to be competitive, which I'm not sure anybody believes right now. But it's, it take the long view, you know. Give them they're they're going to try. Good for them. And then more realistically. Intel, which famously wouldn't fab chips for anybody else that weren't Intel's own chips, I think that is a major area of growth for Intel, and that that would Intel would love to be able to take chip manufacturing business away from TSMC uh, in terms of Apple. Like that, that's a that's an area where Intel could really grow. So in, Intel is talking like a company that wants to do business with Apple in the future, <laughs> and Qualcomm is not. Uh, South Korean lawmakers are unhappy with Apple's efforts to meet their ruling over third-party payments. So this is the thing we were talking about a few weeks ago where Google created their system where you could 
have third-party payments of other providers, but you'd still pay Google. Um, so Yo Seung Lei, who's one of the lawmakers in South Korea, I got a great quote from them. Frankly, we are not satisfied. Apple's claims that it's already complying is nonsensical. Excessive fees take away developers' chances for innovation. Parliament is to be closely informed as the government's draft detailed regulations to make sure there is accountability. And this is coming into effect uh, pretty soon next year. And it is kind of hilarious, really, when you look at what we were talking about with what Google did to comply. And Apple has so far said they are already complying. And I don't <laughs> understand. Uh, <laughs> I don't get it. I don't know what they're particularly hinging this on. Um, but that's kind of where they are. And understandably, South Korea is pretty peeved about it. Yeah, it's like a weird game of chicken right? where it was like, all right, we passed a new law. You got to do it. We already did it. They're gaslighting. What? Which is so strange uh, as a thing to do. I, I don't really know what the plan is here, um, but this is this is where they are right now. Amazing. Well, I, I think our notes from last week can be replayed here. Basically, um, if Apple is forced to comply with like alternative payment routes, we know what they're going to do. They're going to do what Google did, which is they're going to charge a fee regardless of whether you use their service or not for payment, and it's not going to save anybody any money, and so nobody's going to do it. That's what's going to happen. So do you think they will do that? They're going to have to try something else. Yeah. Yeah, I think if they if they are forced to do alternative payment methods, I think that's absolutely what they're going to do. Because they could they could use the developer account as a proxy um and and chain and charge people for their annual developer thing but it, i feel like the simplest thing to do is just say um by you we've changed the terms of service of your apple developer agreement and if you use an alternative payment mechanism in a country where that is available then you owe us this percentage as part of your developer agreement done mm -hmm. right and uh and that and they know what that effect will be, which is everybody will look at the cost of implementing an alternative payment mechanism and realize it's as expensive or more expensive or only very slightly less expensive than using Apple's, and most people will just give up and not do it. And then there'll be another round of legislation <laughs> that'll say you can't charge more than this for your fee, and that'll be argued, and you know, but that would be the next round. And you have a uh, orange HomePod Mini. I do. I wrote about this on Six Colors last week. It's been uh, in my office for a little while. Um, Apple sent me an orange HomePod Mini. I mean, HomePod Mini's not... They never sent me a HomePod Mini to review, by the right. way. <laughs> but they sent me an orange HomePod Mini to look at the color, right? <laughs> uh, which is interesting. I appreciate it because I, had, I bought a HomePod Mini. I have a space gray HomePod Mini. And so... I was able to do a, a HomePod mini stereo pair for the first time. I have two HomePods and in a stereo pair. So I know about that, but I hadn't done it with the HomePod mini before. And so I hadn't really been able to hear how it performs as a stereo pair. And so that was fun. It, it, uh, it sounds pretty good. I'm, I tried it out in place. So I have a Sonus One pair that I used to replace my iPod Hi-Fi, which was wired into my iMac because I wanted to get the iPod Hi-Fi off the off the desk and it gets a little more stereo separation to have the speakers on opposite sides of my office instead of sort of just kind of off to the left of my iMac. Uh, and the, the Sonos has sounded good, but I have had problems. I've been bedeviled with airplay problems um, where 
sometimes it loses the connection. Sometimes it can't see the speakers briefly. Mm-hmm. Sometimes when you press play, one starts playing and then the other one catches up after a second or two. Um, so every song starts off in the left and then becomes stereo. Uh, I've had it where you pause it and walk away for a while and you come back and you press play and it won't play and it until you replay the song, it just won't play. Um, lots of frustration there, and I've been unclear on whether that it was Sonus's fault or whether that was AirPlay's fault. And um, I can report now that I've used the HomePod Minis that it's AirPlay's fault. The HomePod Minis are probably... I forget how I phrased it in the article. Basically, they're more stable a little bit maybe than the Sonos's, but not a lot, and it's still not great. Is this an issue you are finding on the Mac or on all devices? On the Mac, it is the worst. Right. There are issues, in, and I think last week ATP talked about this. Marco talked about it a little bit, and I hadn't listened when I wrote my piece, and it was it, it was sort of like uh, we were thinking along the same track at the same time. It's pretty funny. Um, there are AirPlay issues. AirPlay has, and it, and it has gotten worse. And I noticed this with my regular HomePods too, where, and I don't know if it's a new version of AirPlay or iOS or whatever, but I've noticed on my other HomePods, my big HomePods, that sometimes it just takes the the playback away from me. So I'm playing it from my phone and then I go to my phone to pause it or go to the next track and my phone is no longer playing. It's no longer connected to the HomePod. Mm. So, you know, because they get... They get in this weird synergy where, like, you're on your phone, but the now playing is the HomePod, and you can pause it and go next and change the volume. It's very nice when you initiate that from the phone that you get to control it. But I found that increasingly the HomePod basically disconnects from my phone, and now I have to either go try to find the HomePod and reconnect to it, which is a challenge and doesn't always work. A lot of times I'll press I'll press what I think is pause, but it's actually play, and what happens is it's going to play that same thing that I'm playing on the HomePod on my iPhone at the point where it disconnected. So I often get like two versions of the same song shifted off by 30 seconds. One's playing out of my phone and the other's still playing on the HomePod. Um, very weird home play or uh, very weird AirPlay stuff going on. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I will say though that clearly it is more reliable to play things on the HomePods, mini or big, or, or the Sonos's honestly, from an iOS device. On the Mac, it's really weird. And there is this like system output setting for the Mac uh, that lets you use your HomePods or any other AirPlay device theoretically as a system output. But I don't, and first off, that's not reliable either, but I also don't want that because that means that every alert, anything else that is playing out of the Mac is, you know, two second delayed played back via AirPlay. And I don't want that. I want that stuff to come through my iMac speaker and be instantaneous. So um, it's a weird situation. I like the sound of the HomePod minis. They don't sound quite as good as the Sonos's, but the Sonos's cost twice as much. And honestly, for my use, where they're sitting on basically the edges of my desk, the HomePod mini would be good enough. It can't get as loud as the Sonos's, but the loudest of the HomePod mini is good enough. Again, good enough for my use sitting on my desk in my office. I've had a bunch of people write in and say, well, what you really need is a USB amp and wired speakers, wired bookshelf speakers. It's like, that's not what I want. (laughs) Wired would be better, but I don't want wires. 
and I don't want big speakers sitting on my desk. So I'm trying to find some other method here. Uh, not entirely successfully. Successful enough that I haven't bagged it and got back to the iPod Hi-Fi, but um, but it's not as good as I wish that it was. Yep. And you know, I think the bottom line is the software isn't is is a little messed up right now. And it, the fact that it's the Mac is not a first class citizen of AirPlay, and even on the number one platform iOS, AirPlay is kind of sketchy right now. Um, it's we're in a we're in a weird place. I know you've complained about like HomePod issues with yours too. So you know you've seen it too. Seen that it, yeah. that, and I agree with Marco that that I feel like the HomePod, the big HomePods, were more stable. There was a really nice era of stability that I had with them last year, but that now things are really weird. Uh, mine have been completely rock solid since um since you did the TVOS update. Yes. Yeah, but you've got them in that, you've got them locked as TVOS speakers, right? Yeah, I mean, I can play music on them whenever I want. All right. by talking to them, by, you know, like as you would normally. Oh, yeah, well, and and talking to them is a different thing, right? Because then it's not airplay. Then it's them playing for themselves. And that would be the other argument is I could just forego controlling my music on my Mac at all and just use voice. But I don't want (laughs) to. Yeah. Like, I don't want to yeah, do that. Yeah, it's a shame because you can still, on iOS, you can still control them, even if they're playing di- yeah. on their own, but you can't do it on the Mac. Right. And um, I will also say the Sonos thing, like, there's a Sonos app on the Mac. I could go all in on controlling my, and it's got Apple Music integration, so I could go all in on controlling my th- stuff on the Mac using the Sonos app. But the Sonos app is a weird app, too. I don't really want to use it. I don't like its interface. It's kind of unpleasant. It is more stable with the Sonos speakers than using AirPlay. There's no doubt about it. But again, I don't I don't want to, right? I want to use the music app on my Mac. Like it feels like what the app, the Mac music app needs is something like uh the Spotify Connect thing where Spotify Connect you can just tell any connected device play whatever I'm asking yeah. you to do, but it's not streaming it to it. It's pulling it from the web. If I were giving advice to somebody at Apple who's involved with this stuff, which I guess technically I am because I am a person on a podcast, but Mm -hmm. probably not with a direct line. Anyway, my advice would be a version of what you just said, which is you need an airplane mode in the music app on the Mac that just says, use this as my speakers, and that is solid. Um, the challenge is you can go to the AirPlay icon and choose an AirPlay speaker and say, okay, here we go. And it is persistent across quits unless it goes through its thing where it decides that it can't, you press play and it goes, I can't find it. And then you press play again and it goes, now I can find it. Yeah. Which is, you know, great. <laughs> um, so that if, if you get in a mode where I can say, look, these are my speakers, always play to them and now I'm playing to them, I would be happy. The The problem is that that very basic scenario doesn't work. It just doesn't work reliably. It is uh, really frustrating to me um, as somebody who listens to music on my Mac all the time and wants to embrace AirPlay because I really like the fact that I can put speakers 
on the far walls of my office, I can get really nice stereo separation. It's really mm-hmm. quite pleasant. And in fact, getting speakers off my desk also means my desk doesn't vibrate when something is vibrating in the music, right? I like it. I can play things louder without it bugging me. Um, but I can't. I mean, I, I'm doing it, but I'm suffering and I get frustrated because so, multiple times a day I have to click on the little airplay thing and like go back to my it's like it's playing but i can't hear anything and then i click on imac speakers and then it starts to play um even though it said it was playing before but it's playing nothing to no one (laughs) and then i have to click back and maybe it will go sometimes i also get in a position where it's playing to multiple speakers i've had several hilarious moments where the sonoses and the uh, homepod minis are all playing which i guess is a thing you could do you could get that quadraphonic sound of four little speakers in two stereo pairs playing at once but it's not what i want it's not what i'm trying to do it's just i end up there because the airplay experience is so frustrating this week's episode is brought to you in part by zocdoc when you need a doctor you need a doctor now not in a few days not in a few weeks and definitely not in a few months If you need to see an MD ASAP, you need ZocDoc. Just download the free ZocDoc app, which is the easiest way to find a great doctor and instantly book an appointment. With ZocDoc, you can search for local doctors who take your insurance, read verified patient reviews, and book an appointment in person or via video chat so you never have to wait on hold of a receptionist again. Whether you need a primary care physician, a dentist, a dermatologist, a psychiatrist, an eye doctor, or many other specialists, ZocDoc has you covered. Go to ZocDoc.com slash UpgradeFM and download the ZocDoc app to sign up for free. Every month, millions of people use ZocDoc. And it's pretty simple. Why? Like when I want to see a doctor or I want to see a specialist or something like that, I never, one thing is I never really know where to start. Like where do you go to find these people? How do you know if they're any good? How long are we going to have to wait for treatment? And what I think is super cool about ZocDoc is that you get this information, you get that all there right at your fingertips. It's easy to find someone. This is the way healthcare should be working in the modern day and especially the wait time thing. That can be such a problem. So this is super cool. ZocDoc makes healthcare easy and now is the time to prioritize your health. Go to ZocDoc.com slash UpgradeF and download the ZocDoc app to sign up for free and book a top-rated doctor. Many are available as soon as today. That's zocdoccom slash UpgradeFM. A thanks to ZocDoc for their support of this show and RelayFM. Z means Z. Yeah, Z or Z, whichever you prefer. Apple have announced to employees that they are once again pushing back their return to the office plan, and they are now expecting this to be February at the earliest. Uh, They have mentioned before, I think January was the plan with a one-month notice, so now they're saying February, and it'll be the notice is now, um, but could be February, could be later, but won't be expected to be any earlier. Uh, For month one, so in the month of February, employees will be expected to be back in the office uh, two days a week, and then from March, it will be Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday for the majority of employees. Apple is going to increase remote work allowance from two weeks to four weeks a year. So this is like four weeks in a year where you'll be able to work, but you can work from wherever you want. You don't need to come into the office for those three days a week. Some employees will have different requirements if their work needs more in-person time. You know, there will be some members of different teams that will have to be in every single day. Hardware engineering. (laughs) Yeah. And design, I'm sure, is another one. Probably, yeah. um, All of that kind of stuff. Uh, Apple has not yet 
as on top of this, mandated vaccinations that are employees. A bunch of tech companies have done this. Apple has not yet done this. It's unknown if they will require this when people are expected to be back in the office. Uh, frankly, I am a bit surprised about that, that like yeah. this hasn't become a thing that they've mentioned or uh, as or have not already required. So, but yeah, so this is where they are. This is uh, a bit better, right? To they've doubled uh, <laughs> the remote work allowance um, from two to four weeks. It's better than two weeks. It's, I would understand many people would say still not enough. There will be a lot of people now that, as we said before, that have spent this last two years working from home and have realized that they don't need to be in the office for their job and would like the ability yeah. to not be in the office for their job. But that seems to not be a thing that Apple's doing. I will say I'm at least happy. One of the things we were saying is we want them to listen to their employees. They have shown that they've listened. They've come up with something that maybe still isn't good enough, but they at least, I think, have shown that they understand that people thought that the two weeks wasn't enough. Um, we'll see. What do you, What is your read on this? Well, um, I, I'll throw in, too, in terms of listening to the employees, something that, that is a development that I think uh, – Zoe Schiffer, who used to be at The Verge, but now is at NBC News, reported yep. that uh, they had a memo that basically said, you can talk about your <laughs> you can talk about your compensation and your feelings about Apple, and we can't tell you not to, and that can be public. And it was an interesting sort of moment oh, of Apple saying, we can't, we, can't, uh, <laughs> we can't legally stop you. Um, but I think that that's an interesting, uh, interesting little thing. I hope I'm characterizing that right. But the idea there is that there's, there's a little more understanding of uh what's that Zoe's thing i don't know i'm not finding the uh i'm not finding the link now mm. Mm. well it's live podcast updating so that's that's what happens anyway my understanding is that um that they're they acknowledged that discussion of employee issues is allowed <laughs> and and that's interesting i mean whether that makes any difference remains to be seen, but I, I th- thought that was like an interesting moment too, where Apple is doing this bend but not break strategy, right? Which is like, yeah, we'll listen, but you're still going to do what we say, but we'll listen. Which, I mean, that's a management choice. I think, um, I think they're showing some flexibility here. Uh, obviously, you and I have been very uh, strong. Uh, I guess, advocates for the idea that not all work needs to be in person, and that Apple is per you know, perhaps going to lose good people because they're so uh, limited and they've always been this way um, where there are a lot of parts of Apple where they're like, no, no, you have to be in a desk at a computer in Cupertino. And that's where this job is because, you know, of reasons, because of history, Mm -hmm. because of collaboration, because of whatever. And that after two years, you would think that certain parts of that business would realize they actually get along just fine and they don't need to be in person. And what happens when people don't need to be in person is it's not just that people with Silicon Valley jobs can move out of Silicon Valley where the commutes are terrible and the cost of living is awful. It also means that Apple can hire really talented people who will never move to California or what it, wherever their offices are that they're hiring for. They, can, they, they have a bigger base. So I think Apple is actually stronger when it comes to jobs that don't need to be in person. And that's the argument, right? Is what is... What job needs to be in person? But I would argue that there are lots of jobs, and I know this from personal experience, talking to people, there are lots of jobs at Apple that are sitting at a desk looking at a computer and collaborating using, you know, a Slack channel or something that uh, don't need to be in Cupertino where it's incredibly expensive to live, and yet those jobs are there because of those reasons. So I, I think... 
by doing it this way and saying you can work from home a little bit, they're addressing some of the kind of work-life balance issues of like, we don't need to be in the office every day and we know you have a long commute and we know that you've got, you know, kids at home and things like that. And I think it, 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 as a, in isolation as a humane policy, I think it's good. My problem with it is there's another aspect here, which is j- jobs that should probably not n- need physical offices. And the proof is the pandemic that they have happened fine without. Now, again, I'm not saying all of them have, but there are some certainly that could be remote forever. So I think, I mean, and, and again, they don't want to make a blanket policy. So it may be that very slowly in the background, those uh, groups that don't need to be in person are made remote groups, but it's not a blanket policy and it just sort of happens. I do think that by making this policy the way that they have, the risk is that they're going to turn people off. But I think the reality is going to be that person by person, whether it's retaining an existing employee or it's a new hire, Apple's policies here will still change. They will be eroded person by person, group by group, star by star, Mm -hmm. as they realize that if they want this person they're going to not be able to hire them and make them move to Cupertino. But they really want them. And well, you know, we saw in the pandemic, this person doesn't actually need to be here. And that's, or this person, we really want to retain this person, but they don't want to live in the Bay Area anymore. And their job doesn't really need to be here. So, I mean, that happened. I had people at Macworld move and we kept paying them and they kept doing their job and it was great, right? Um that's not quite, I mean, the truth is that barring some real conversion on the part of Apple's upper management, that's how the change happens. And I think it is going to happen. I think that the pandemic has fundamentally changed how a lot of people view these kinds of jobs. And I think that for companies like Apple to retain talent, they're going to have to make exceptions. They'll be forced to be flexible. And eventually the exceptions have become, will become the rule, which is, oh, you'll turn around in five years and realize that that group that used to have an office on, you know, at infinite loop is uh, remote now. <laughs> and, and it'll just happen like that. But, yeah. um, but I think it will happen regardless because uh, otherwise they're going to lose too much talent and fail to acquire new talent. And, and that's just the truth of it. So you were remembering correctly. It was the second Zoe Schiffer story at NBC News where Apple have uh, sent out another memo saying, our policies do not restrict employees from speaking freely about their wages, hours, or working conditions. We encourage any employee of concerns to raise them in the way they feel most comfortable internally or externally, including through their manager, any Apple manager, people support, people business partner, or business conduct. And uh, we also have a link to a Bloomberg article that says that Cher Scarlett, who was uh, one of the people who was involved in this movement, is leaving Apple, um, but reached a settlement with them. Um, and that regarding a uh, complaint she made with the National Labor Relations Board. So these things are probably connected, right? Which is mm-hmm. Apple uh, reacted in a very aggressive way toward employee criticism and discussion about Apple, and then was reminded that there are certain things that people are allowed to do. <laughs> <laughs> and sent out a memo saying, okay, just to clarify, probably a condition of the settlement. You you have rights. <laughs> I mean, it's, I, no, I cannot 
for a moment assume that all of Apple forgot this existed, right? Mm, like there are yeah. legal people that knew about this, right? Or like people in some people in HR that knew about this, but it may have been a selection of overzealous managers who yes, were forcing people not to talk, right? Or, who are not aware. I, I think that happens a lot in business, It does right? happen there a lot. The, there are the people in, who are aware of employment law mm-hmm. and the rights of the employees, and then there are managers there who are think the managers, that they own their employees. Which, yeah. by and large, mm-hmm. are not those people, right? Because yeah. that's not what they do, right? So that's that can be the issue. There's something I wanted to bring up, which I found kind of weird. The fact that they're going to make everyone be in the office on the same days. It's like Wednesday and Friday, Apple Park will be a ghost town. And I don't yeah. understand the thinking behind that. Like one of the reasons you 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 like do this kind of thing is that you spread out your employees a bit, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, the idea that you do have cross, you have do have meetings, so you want to have common meeting days. I get that, but I wonder if within different groups you could say, well, we're not going to do Monday, Tuesday, Thursday. We're going to do Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, and you know, and and other people are like, we love Wednesdays. We're going to do Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, or whatever. Um, although I, Apple has you know structured this in a way that you can't take a long weekend, and <laughs> like again, they're trying to trying to structure this in a certain way. But I agree, it is a little bit weird. But I think I think in practice. Again, they are making a blanket policy here, but it's an enormous company, and it would not surprise me if that within individual groups uh, there's more variation, but that's not the policy. But you're right. I, I, if the goal here is to spread out your employees so there's a little less employee density during an ongoing uh, pandemic uh that this doesn't do that. <laughs> but all right, I guess you can clean the pool on Wednesday. Apple also announced the self-service repair program last week, um, which is a program that Apple will be selling to individuals parts and tools so they can make their own repairs on their devices, starting with iPhone 12 and 13 lines and later on um, M1 MacBooks. This will begin in uh, early 2022 in the US, rolling out into different territories and potentially different products throughout the year. What do you think about this? I think um, I, I actually recycled uh, that Princess Bride quote from last week about getting used to disappointment when I talked to um, Micah about this on uh, Tech News Weekly last week um, because I think that we it, we we get these news this news about Apple changing and we're like oh Apple changed it's going to be so much different and it's always it's a little bit like my thing about how you get excited about a product and then you got to add money to how much it's going to cost because it's always going to disappoint you it's a little like that which is like it's never going to be quite as liberal a policy as you would like it to be it's going to be a little narrower and it's never it's not going to change the world as much as you want it to be but it's a positive step and apple has been taking these positive steps to get its manuals and its parts in the hands of independent service uh, people independent service companies and now individuals on top of that is it going to be something that everybody's going to want to do no will there be I, I see two scenarios here one scenario is the thing that is also true about the independent um, independent businesses that do repairs and stuff which is a lot of people don't live anywhere near an Apple store. I'm fortunate enough to live one exit on the freeway away from an Apple store. But, uh, and there's a guy there who's, who spots me and knows who I am, which is very nice. I but need also, one like, of those people right like, now. Like I got a hole in my t-shirt and mm-hmm. I'm wearing a hat because I haven't showered yet. And there's somebody who's like, Jason, I don't know. <laughs> uh, but uh, a lot of people live, I grew up in rural California. A lot of people live nowhere near an independent repair shop, let alone an Apple store. 
and maybe they've got an independent repair shop. That's that's good if you do. But there are a lot of people who live nowhere near, like hours drive away from help. So I think it's good that Apple's providing access to people who do repairs, but also now to individuals, because sometimes that's the best option is help me. I just need to do this. And I, I'm not going to I don't have the time to drive two hours away, leave my phone, not have a phone, drive two hours back, then spend days without a phone and then two hours drive. And like, it's not practical. And I know there's like mail in there's mail in service and stuff you can do, too. But it's not it's not ideal. And you're potentially like without your device for some amount of time. The second category is people who are comfortable with tech stuff like this. And that I guess that would be you and me. I'd give it a go, for sure. I would give it a go. Depends on, on, how, depends on how hairy it is. I mean, so my experience with this is not... I mean, back in the day, I did computer stuff back when computers were a little more open. But my experience now is with stuff I fix in my house. It's like appliances and stuff where there's YouTube videos that say, okay, here's how you do this. And, you know, I've had this experience multiple times where something breaks on an appliance in my house. I figure out what the broken thing is. I order the part on the internet. The part shows up. I look at the YouTube video and I fix my appliance. Yeah, did it with my washing machine, did it with my dishwasher, did it with my refrigerator. It's great because I would have previously had to try and find a repair person and wait and spend a lot of money and maybe they would show up and sometimes they they call and say, well, no, we're not going to service that particular brand and, and you have to be back at, at Square Run. It, it's really frustrating. And I map that experience to this a little bit and think, well, now... If, you're, if you are so inclined or you don't have any other options, you will be able to get the part from Apple and get the tools and get the instructions and probably, if not already, very soon, watch the video on YouTube where a very friendly guy in mm. Nebraska, I think it's the KitchenAid mixer guy in Nebraska, or maybe he's in Oklahoma. Uh, I did a KitchenAid mixer thing too, right? Very friendly guy who all he does is fix KitchenAid mixers in Oklahoma and... Like you'll find that video and he'll be like, "Hey everybody, we're gonna take a, we're gonna replace this iPhone 13 Apple uh, you know uh, screen with the official Apple repair, and here's how it works." And some people are gonna be like, "Oh Lord, no! I'm never gonna want to do that." And other people are gonna be like, "Great, that's what I want, and I can save 50 bucks by returning my old screen or whatever. Fantastic, let's do it." So. I think it's great. I think it's not earth-shattering in the same way that maybe people had hoped, but I think it shows you a trend mm -hmm. of Apple being more open to this kind of thing. I, I, I do think it speaks to the more advanced uh, er, or, or uh, stable era we're in with smartphones where, um, and with all our devices where there was, a, there was a period where every single iPhone was engineered with zero tolerances because they were, they were in an arms race with Google and they were inventing the stuff as they went. And we're kind of out of that now. So I think that there's a little more comfort factor in terms of doing this stuff. And I think that also means Apple has also realized how much, how expensive it is to service its own hardware, even in Apple repair and Apple care. And is is also sort of slowly making if you look at the iFixit teardown of the MacBook Pro for example they're they're I think slowly making their products more repairable when they can yeah they put poor tabs on the batteries now which is a, which is actually quite a big deal because never forget the number one repairer of Apple stuff is Apple 
And that means that if they have to repair something that's under warranty, they got to eat the price of the repair. Yeah. And they're, they got to eat the labor of the repair. So Apple is motivated within limits to make their products more a little more repairable. And I think that we're starting to see that too. So I think it's good news. Um, I, I don't think it's you know, earth shattering news, but I think it's good news and I'm not sure I would ever do this, but I might, I mean, I'm more interested in the Mac side and they're starting with the iPhone, but like I've bought the third party batteries and try to put them in and all of that. And like, would I do Apple approved battery repair of my, you know, MacBook air down the road? I I would seriously consider that, right? I, I would feel very comfortable doing that because um, I've done it before. And I might like the fact that it was all kind of like under the auspices of Apple and that Apple had approved it. Also, you know, just I know you, I'm sure you're aware of this, but just to, to have a full conversation on it. This is also getting out ahead of potential right to repair legislation, right? Like for sure, the, it helps yeah, them mean... to expand it because, <laughs> like, for all the reasons you mentioned, like they are genuine reasons. Like, and I'm sure, like, we're in the pro column, but another one in the pro column was let's not get governments on our case about something else that is right. actually easier for us to fix. And you know, I think does I actually think goes a long way to like I think a lot of people that were anti Apple on the right to repair stance, it was focused around Apple just wants to gouge every dollar out of you. Right. They wanna they want you to pay for expensive repairs and or they want your product to break. So you'll so you buy, buy a new one. one. Yeah. And I think that this shows that that's not the case so much right. because they are very protective of the app store, right? We've been talking about it for months now. They are in so much more trouble and they will not let it go. But with this, they're just letting it go. And considering how much more money they make in iPhones than services right now, I think that is a pretty clear indication that the amount of people that buy buy new devices just because they broke an old one, I think shows, I would say that Apple would believe it to be pretty slim. And like I said, I think it's more extenuating circumstances that repairability has just not been a priority with them. Yes. Um, and that they've been more worried about the building of them and getting them out there and the cost of the parts and getting all the parts to fit. And, and making them look as good as they possibly can. And right. Look as good, stuff, be yeah. as, as thin and light and all of those things. But I do think that these products have matured now, too. And so they've got a little more room to try and and say you know you realize how much money we lose every time we have to fix a phone under warranty can we do something about that and maybe for five years they're like no 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 and now they're like yeah okay we can make it more repairable we can put that on our priority list too yeah and like the maturity thing is also in the that you know that the phones get a little bit thicker now for bigger batteries and stuff like that because it's just less of a requirement to to continue going down the same paths you mentioned right to repair. The other motivator here, I think, in terms of external factors, in terms of like the PR, is Apple's commitment to the environment. Uh, like the making disposable things is not environmentally friendly. And they can talk about they've got a machine that disassembles them and all of those things. But you know what really is environmentally friendly is not having to buy a new phone because you can fix your broken phone, not having to throw away a motherboard because everything is attached to the motherboard and without it, you can't, (laughs) you can't, so you just have to, oh, we got to replace the whole thing, right? That's not environmentally friendly. And I think that that is something that Apple legitimately cares about as a company, but was in conflict with the the other priorities that they had. So that, that again, not alone in driving a decision like this or a, or a, a direction that they're going, but I think it's one other 
thing on the pile in terms of weighing how they approach this is it is because you know they can get lisa jackson up there on the roof and all of that but like if you if you make your product so that when they break you have to throw them away and i know that they can be recycled and all that but just on a simple level if there's a part that broke and you could fix it and keep using it or you could dispose of it even if you've got the best recycling system in the world it's not as effective as fixing the product in terms of the environment. The best thing to do is to keep that phone in circulation and hand it down to somebody else. And that might lose you a sale in the short term, but Tim Cook has extolled the virtues of the long life of their products and how it increases their install base time and again. So it does fit in with that part of the philosophy to do something like this. So I, I think that that's the environmental stuff is also a part of it where they were not really walking the walk with this, with this uh, stuff. Now it remains to be seen, like if push comes to shove and Apple has to make a decision, do I worry about repairability or do I worry about making this product, you know, that we absolutely have to make whatever the reason behind that is, they're going to go for the product. But I, I feel like they're in a place now with the iPhone where they're, they feel less pressure to do that. This episode is brought to you by our very good friends over at Memberful, the easiest way to sell memberships to your audience used by the biggest creators on the web. You can generate sustainable recurring income while diversifying your revenue stream. Maybe your business's financial situation has changed in the past couple of years, and now you need a proven solution that's quick to launch so you can stabilize your business and grow. Memberful handles all of the hard stuff so you can focus on what you do best while earning revenue quickly, while leaving you with full control and ownership of everything that relates to your audience, brand, and membership. Memberful has everything you need to run your own membership program, including an optimized checkout, Apple Pay, easy member management, dashboard analytics, free trials, gift subscriptions, and more. And Memberful seamlessly integrates with the tools that you already use, including lots of fully managed integrations with the most popular services like WordPress, MailChimp, Discord, and tons more. And now you can send paid email newsletters directly through Memberful without needing to connect to a third-party email provider. You can even publish your paid newsletter content to a Memberful-hosted members-only website, and there's no additional fee when signed up for Memberful's pro or premium plans. Plus, you'll save money compared to other popular hosted news other platforms. So we are big users of Memberful here at Relay FM. Uh, we have all of our membership stuff runs through them, and they have been absolutely amazing for us over the last couple of years uh, as we have expanded our offerings. So Upgrade Plus, for example, if you go to getupgradeplus.com, you can sign up, and that's all Memberful powered, which is fantastic. And we have just started using their email newsletter thing. So we had previously, we were using a third party that integrated with Memberful so we could send that out. But now we got it all in-house. We don't need to have all of that system to manage over there. We don't need to pay the fees for another company to do all that stuff. And now we're using Memberful's email newsletter system. And it's absolutely fantastic. Because one of the things we love about Memberful is over time, they're giving more and more and more to us. And we have many more features that we're going to be taking advantage of over the next couple of weeks as well. Get started for free at memberful.com slash upgrade of no credit card required. That's memberful.com slash upgrade. Go there right now and check it out and see what it could do for your business. Our thanks to Memberful for their support of this show and Relay FM. We're going to come back to the rarely used segment, <laughs> Upshift, Woo! where we talk about <laughs> Apple's car project. Jason's doing donuts in the studio over there. Uh, Mark right. Gurman reporting for Bloomberg. Okay. In recent years, Apple have been exploring two paths when it comes to their car project. 
One is limited self-driving. This is like features that we see on many modern cars. Think of your Tesla autopilot or, you know, like automatic cruise control and lane guidance and all that kind of stuff. Or full self-driving that requires no human intervention. Uh, They have refocused their efforts on the latter. So Apple is now aiming for their car project to be a full self-driving car as the goal. That is what they want the product to be. Uh, Kevin Lynch is now leading the team. Kevin Lynch uh, came over to Apple to run the Apple Watch project. Did a good job there. But this makes Lynch the fifth person in charge of this team in the last seven years. (laughs) Oh, no. Kevin Lynch, what have you done? What did you do to anger them that they put you in charge of this thing? Or did I want Kevin to leave? I don't know, because everyone seems to leave. I've had people retire. Yeah, Kevin, congratulations. We think the world of you. We're putting you in this thankless task. It's like, oh, okay. Good luck. Or maybe it is what, what it probably seems to be, or like the other option is. They're struggling with this project. They need someone yeah. for a proven track record internal, because they've brought in some external hires to run this and stuff. It hasn't gone very right. well. Internal to get this Take thing it across the, the finish line, line right? Yeah. Like like uh, Kevin did with the Apple Watch. Yep. Quote from Mark Gurman, Apple's ideal car would have no steering wheel and pedals, and its interior would be designed around hands-off driving. They have discussed equipping the car with an emergency takeover mode. Okay, let's stop right there. <laughs> I'm sorry, do we have to say, hey, car, stop, because I can't stop it myself? Here's the thing. Um, self-driving as a goal is great. Like, Sounds yeah, great. Future. That's Sounds great. amazing, and, right? Yeah. And, and, and German's report talks about how they're, like, they're building a processor with like a zillion neural engines in order yep. to do this, and, and, they wor- they, and, and it's going to run hot, so they're worrying about cooling them. Like, folks, cars are really good at cooling. We, 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 there are lots of hot things in cars. Mm-hmm. It'll be fine. Engines. Yeah. I mean, like, well, our engine is not that hot, but our tro- processor is. It's like, we, we work it out. We'll put the radiator next to it. It'll be fine. Um, so I'm not worried about that. I love the goal being full self-driving. Now, lots of, you know, Google's, look, or Waymo, right, is trying to do it. Tesla's been trying to do it. Elon Musk keeps talking about full self-driving. They, they haven't figured it out. It's hard. It's really hard. Um, I think it's a good goal. I think, obviously, though, the way, let's assume that something as, resembling full self-driving does eventually exist. It's hard to imagine that it's not going to be in stages where it's like well on freeways (laughs) it'll in california and then eventually everywhere it'll work so when you're on the freeway you can now put it with you can put it in into full self-drive and lean back and relax and you and do not have to worry at all it is going to be completely safe i could see that that's a big leap by the way but i could see that as a first step and then the next step is going to be like at certain times of day or in certain areas that are super mapped and we've got all the knowledge, you will be able to summon your car and have it come to you and or, or, or tell it to go somewhere and it'll drive you there. Mm-hmm. And then over time, it will grow and it will grow. And maybe someday... <laughs> you'll be able to, that all cars will be able to drive themselves everywhere. Probably not. I don't even think this is a maybe someday thing. I think this is an inevitability at some point in the future. On an infinite time scale, yeah. maybe. Although although even then you would probably need what this story says is like emergency takeover mode in case you get, your, your wheel gets stuck or something like that, right? Where it's like, oh no, the computer doesn't know what to do. At first. But here, so here's the problem. This report saying that their ideal car would have no steering wheel and pedals. 
Okay. No one's going to buy that car. <laughs> it doesn't necessarily no mean it. that there wouldn't be controls. <laughs> you might be able to control it with a touchscreen or something or a joystick. I don't know. Not a steering wheel and pedals. But this is where this report um, runs off the road and into a ditch, which is the I am open to the idea of self-driving. I am. And, and he's saying 2025 is their target date for this car. I am not open to the idea that self-driving will be so foolproof that you won't need controls in your car. I, 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 and and not, to, not to be too aggressive here about this, but let me put it this way. Uh, and this is what I said on Six Colors. This, I want to call this kind of idea like a moonshot, except for one thing, which is the other guy who's trying to do this is literally trying to send people to the moon. Shot. Mm-hmm. And that's going to happen this decade. This isn't. So I like it, it's it, I maybe it's just a goal. Like, what if we had no steering wheel and pedals? What if we built it that way? But I am telling you, if Apple doesn't want to do a car unless it doesn't have a steering wheel and pedals or other like user controls, Apple will never ship a car, period. Ne- or OK, never, f- never this decade, let's mm-hmm. say never in the next 10 years will ship a car. So Apple are targeting uh, this project to be within the next five years, I think, or within the next, I think it's within the next five years, I believe. I'll check this. I, I, for some reason, I mean, I twenty. They they targeting. I think twenty twenty five is that what is what they said, which is which is which is really soon. Even if um, even if yeah. it works, right? Let's imagine it works, like. They have created the technology, and Apple can have built a car which unbelievably fully self-drives everywhere on the planet. People would not buy a car in four years from now that does not have a steering wheel. I, I think you're right, but I don't think it even gets to that point. Because my point here is, I'm not as negative on full self-driving as some people are, John Syracuse. Um I think that there are levels of it that are are probably going to happen and even happen pretty soon. Even like Tesla, I think that Tesla will ultimately get to the point where they feel confident in saying you can you can be on the freeway and the car is going to do the right thing. It will probably take them a lot longer than they expect, but I think it will happen at some point that some degree in certain locations and certain uh, situations will be drivable. I'm not 100% confident, but I'm like, I think that'll probably happen. Um, But it is an enormous leap to say we don't need controls anymore because it's all going to be so good in so many places. And we'll have a little emergency thing that, I don't know, is that like a a little steering wheel like pops out of the dash in case of an emergency and the lights go red and now you're in weird driving mode. I just, that's, that. it seems like a fantasy to me. And so I read this, I read this German article and I think to myself, well, that's interesting. And then I get to this point and I'm like, well, that's never going to happen. So if they're, uh, I, it's a Mark Gurman report. Maybe it's aspirational, but I look at this and I think if you're motivating your employees and be like, we want to build this so good that you don't need a steering wheel, that's fine. But if you really think you're going to make a car and sell it and it's not going to have controls because your full self-driving is going to be so good that people don't need controls, you're, 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 it's a fantasy. It's just a fantasy. It's ridiculous. Come on. It's ridiculous. Yeah, so it's ridiculous. I don't know. I don't know what to say. As somebody who's been sort of like neutral on the Apple car, I look at this story and like part of this story makes me think, oh, maybe they'll be able to pull this off. And then I get to that part and I think this is a joke. I think I agree with you, actually. 
Uh, just to continue, and then we've got a little bit more. I've got a little bit more I want to say on that. Naturally, an Apple Car product would feature touchscreens to be heavily integrated with existing range of products sure, and of services, course. right? Uh, it's said that, you, as you mentioned, they've finished the groundwork for a CPU, uh, and they're actually <laughs> planning to equip a their current fleet of Lexus vehicles that they're using for testing with this CPU. They're going to retrofit it. Um, and Apple are continuing to hire lots of people from all across the auto industry to make this project work. So one of the things Great. for me, like building on what you were saying, is I'm not sure that any company could all of a sudden offer this kind of product, a self-driving product. Forget the wheel. Imagine they put a wheel and pedals in it, right? Sure. They're like, or like, you know, the wheel and pedals are hidden behind the dashboard and you press a button and they come out and you're in emergency <laughs> mode, it's like, right? Like the Batmobile. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, even if like all of this existed like, and worked, I just can't imagine people would buy Apple's product. Look, and actually, I don't even think it's possible for Apple to all of a sudden be like, here's our full self-driving car. Because like a company like Tesla would be first to be able to do something that is in theory because they already have hundreds of thousands of cars driving on real roads collecting yeah. data for them. Apple currently has 69 Lexuses. Nice. <laughs> driving in California. Yeah. This is the, I think this is one of the big questions, which is Apple's MO is don't ship it until it's ready and don't do your research in public. I mean, they do ship it eventually. And then obviously like the first Apple watch was very limited and then they iterate, but there's this feeling philosophically at Apple that, um, there are certain products that are so early in the lifespan of the technology that you can't subject the public to it and you can't charge them for it. And this is when we talk about the AR stuff, uh, AR and VR stuff. That's why we came up with our idea that the first one will be more like a developer kit Mm -hmm. is because they may not want to subject the public to this thing or subject the product to the scrutiny of something that's not really ready and doesn't really fulfill all of Apple's goals, but you've got to start somewhere. The challenge is with the car that I I think you're right. You kind of do need to learn a lot out in public. And I don't know if Apple could pull off just saying, well, you know, our test cars, are now at 100%, and so here's the product. In, enjoy. Here it is. Uh, and and are people going to... First off, people are going to need to see it work, and they're ne- going to need to find trust with it, which is why I keep thinking the most likely scenario here is they will get to a point where they will think their technology stack is so amazing, including this processor, that they go to a partner, and and they either build a traditional electric car with a partner or, you know, or, or something I mean, like that. They have to partner with someone. Right. They have to but it's, with someone. It's hard to imagine that their first step is not getting a car body from essentially from another manufacturer and doing a special version of it that's got Apple's brains in it that is either branded as an Apple car or is branded as a <laughs> Lexus with Apple so inside. So what you're saying is they're going to make a Motorola rocker on wheels. No, because they would control the inside. It would be, you know, in a way that the rocker wasn't. But yeah. but it is, it, although that's a terrifying, a Motorola rocker on wheels is terrifying. And don't <laughs> th- even try to imagine what that would look like. Um, it is... Like, that is the logical step, and and I don't know whether they will get there or not, but clearly the first step, if you're going to do Apple uh, cars, is is to put it out there in something that's more like a traditional car and get time 
with it and get and if that doesn't need to be an apple branded car and it's more like an apple brains inside this electric car from whoever the manufacturer is that seems to be the next approach which is why this report is so perplexing because it's it's talking about this it's just not to mix my transportation metaphors but it's putting the cart before the horse it is not the full self-driving horse cart before the self-driving horse yes full self-riding <laughs> uh, it is it, it is the end point it is the end goal not the beginning goal the beginning goal has to be something that's less ambitious not saying kill your ambition i'm saying start be a little less ambitious because it's never going to happen if the way you get this product out there is with no controls in it, it's never going to yeah. happen. So be realistic. Like I'm all for setting goals. Yes. But and like writing this on a whiteboard goals. in the design room. Right. And it sure. lives there. And it's like, it's like, believe, right? Like this is what yes. we are going for, but this is not version one. No, it's way too much. Way too much. That's, that's how it feels to me. I will never discount Apple's ability to surprise me, right? Like over the last, I don't know how many decades now I've been following this company, you know, maybe 15 years for me, right? They've always, they every now and, you know, every, like many times, they have surprised me with their ability. But this is a big leap. This is a yeah. big, big leap. Because ultimately, an iPhone going wrong doesn't kill someone. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think I, I want to give, you know, Mark Gurman says Apple's ideal car. And the way he phrases it, it makes it sound like that's what they want. But it may very well be that it really is like they know it's the ideal and mm -hmm. they know they're not going to be able to do that. But they want it, you know, the, the way we motivate our engineers to work on this self-driving thing is imagine if nobody ever needed to use a steering wheel. That's okay for motivation. But the way it reads in the, in the Gurman story is a little more like they might actually believe that they could do it. And if that's the case, it's a fantasy and it's ridiculous. But it may just be the belief sign right like you said every time they leave apple park on a monday or a or a wednesday or a thursday or what is it monday tuesday thursday they 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 leave and they tap the sign of the driverless apple car on their way out it's slightly askew it has no steering wheel they tap it and they go on their way but the reality is going to be a little different this episode is brought to you by DoorDash. Maybe you're hungry for Chinese tonight. Your flatmate wants pizza. Someone else is craving Froyo. Well, there's something for everyone on DoorDash because DoorDash connects you with the restaurants that you love right now and right to your door. And you can also get the grocery essentials that you need at DoorDash too. You can get your drinks, snacks, and other household items delivered in under an hour. Ordering is super easy. You just open the DoorDash app, choose what you want from where you want it, and your items will be left safely outside your door with the contactless delivery drop-off setting. With over 300,000 partners in the U.S., Puerto Rico, Canada, and Australia, you can support your neighborhood go-tos or choose from your favorite national restaurants like Popeye's, Chipotle, and the Cheesecake Factory. For a limited time, our listeners can get 25% off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter the code UPGRADE2021 if you're in the US and UPGRADE AUS if you're in Australia. Jason, can you tell our listeners why they might want to do this? Why would people want to order with DoorDash? 
I'm going to give you a, a contrary example to my usual example. I'm going to say okay. you are you're sitting at home and it's dinner time uh, or it's just about to be dinner time and you do not want to leave the house. You have no energy. You hate everything. You're just hungry. Somebody please feed me. And there's nobody there to feed you because the people who would make the food don't want to move off the couch. They're tired. They worked all day. They're miserable. Do you have an iPhone with you? Do you have an iPad with you? Do you have a web browser of some kind with you? Um, that's the beauty of DoorDash. You can go there and say like, well, what kind of food do we want? And then in my neighborhood, what I end up with is like a list of restaurants that offer it and you can view how long it will be until they can get you food. Find the shortest amount of time, go to that restaurant, check a bunch of boxes and somebody brings you food and you never had to leave the house. And, uh, you, you know, that to get up sometimes. off the sofa once, which was to only the, the one time, which is mm-hmm. to get the food. Which is way less times um, than if you were cooking. That, otherwise, you can just lay there and doze and, and ponder your life. So uh, that's, that's a thing that happens sometimes, and it's okay. And that's the beauty of DoorDash is that uh, somebody will bring it to you from those local restaurants. Uh, and you never know. That restaurant that's a little further away might be able to get you the food sooner. And uh, DoorDash will tell you that. So that's 25% off, up to $10 of value, and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter the code UPGRADE2021 if you're in the U.S. and UPGRADE AUS for Australia. That's Don't forget that it's UPGRADE2021 for the U.S., UPGRADE AUS for Australia, and you will get 25% off your first order with DoorDash. Subject to change, terms apply. Our thanks to DoorDash for their support of this show and Relay FM. Let's finish up the show today with some hashtag ask upgrade questions. First one comes from Martin. How often do you take screenshots by accident with your iPhone when you just want to hit the power button? It seems to happen to me every day to cite someone. I might be holding it wrong. It's endless. I do this all the time. Oh, okay. Like all throughout the day? Well, not throughout the day, but there's certain... It it just it happens. It happens um, when I'm reaching for the phone or I'm trying to do something in particular. Sometimes it's it's that I'm trying to adjust the volume, but I unwittingly have my hand on another button, or I need to I need to squeeze the phone a little bit so that my uh, so that my volume button will be registered. But I unfortunately am squeezing it on the other button, and so you end up with a screenshot. I wish there was a gesture that was forget that screenshot, right? You've got the gesture to tap and bring it up, at which point you can delete it. And you've got the gesture to just get the little floater off the screen. Oh, you could just swipe it away, but that saves it. That saves it, right? Yeah. So I want, I, I wish there was some sort of a gesture. I don't know. I grab it and I, I like spin it around and chuck it off the side or something. I want the like away with you screenshot. No, I be, be gone with you get out of gesture. But uh, failing that, yeah, it, it, it totally happens. Again, I remember when the first iPhone shipped and it didn't have a screenshot shortcut, and we had to like jailbreak the iPhone and uh, oh and attach it to a cable. And when you got the screen the way you wanted it, you had to issue a shell command on the iPhone, which would grab it. And then you had to use a file transfer thing that you had uploaded to the iPhone to basically FTP it back across the line uh, to get screenshots. So what I'm saying is... Uh, I'm glad we can take screenshots on the iPhone. I, I just do it by accident a lot. <laughs> I uh, tend to only do it uh, when I'm trying to turn my alarm off. Oh, snooze oh interesting. My alarm. So you get a lot so of screenshots of your alarm. I get a lot of screenshots that just say <laughs> alarm. You know, like the alarm yep. like screen? That I get a lot nice. of those ones because Classic. Uh, usually I'm just grabbing for my phone and just squeezing mm-hmm. it. 
that's that's my uh, typical task. Yes, with my make, many it stop, make it stop. Oh, Please God, make, make it, it stop. Mm-hmm. Rajiv asks, this is actually a, a tangential question. Do either of you use sleep tracking of an Apple Watch? If you do, what benefits or metrics do you get out of it? I tried it. Okay. With the new um, with the new watch that I got, which has longer battery life and it has the fast charge and all of that. I've tried it. I use the I turn on the sleep thing so it now buzzes me and sort of at ten at night and says, You should start winding down and all of that. Uh, one night I wore it and although I, I think I could probably wear it every night, I'm unclear on what the benefits are too. Um, and it just feels it feels weird to sleep with a watch and and so I would need to get over that. I'm open to the possibility of doing it eventually, but um, but I haven't done it consistently. I just tried it a couple of times and it told me that I wasn't sleeping enough and I agreed and you know, but I, I knew that already. so <laughs> so I I, uh, I haven't done more than that. It did tell me like it's doing some monitoring of my of my oxygen and my heart rate and stuff overnight. And it's logging sort of like when I'm awake and when I'm asleep. And it does, uh, it sets modes in focus, right? So it puts you in a sleep mode. So it doesn't bug you as much when you're asleep, which is good. Um, so there are advantages of it, but I haven't stuck with it. Yeah, I don't do this. It, it's, it's like a combination of things. One, I don't, wouldn't want to, and, I, and I, would, I, I would hate to sleep with a watch on. I would not find that comfortable at all. Yeah, it's weird. Um, I... Well, don't want to have to manage the battery of my Apple Watch, right? Like right now, I just take my phone, uh, my watch off the charger in the morning and I put it on the charger when I go to bed. I don't want to have to think about charging my watch through the day. I'm not interested in that. Um, and, you know, people say, hey, just get up and get written up. I just, it, one of the first things I do every day is take my watch off the charger and put my watch on. I, that is the way I want to live my life. I, I don't want to have to not do that. That's just how I live my life. It's my choice. Um, I also, honestly, like just from a, 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 a like if just a, a basic level, I don't know what I'm supposed to get out of the idea of sleep tracking. Like I don't know what it's supposed to give me because if it's telling me like, hey, you're not rested, I can't do anything about that. I'm sleeping, right? right? Like I'm already sleeping. Uh, and I also, like you, sleep more. I know I I have a weird sleep schedule and it's not good enough. The Apple Watch doesn't need to tell me that. I already know yep. that. So mm-hmm. I, I, I am not saying it is not good for people. I just don't see why I would want to do it for me. Yeah, I'm a big um, fan of getting stats about yourself, but mm-hmm. having to commit to wearing my Apple Watch every night in order to get sleep stats is not something I'm willing to do. Yeah. At this point, if yeah. I was having a I, like, sleep problem, I would mm-hmm. consider it, but yeah. I'm not, so I don't. I would be open to some kind of device that monitored my sleep. I mean, like you know, I bought a Bedit. Yeah, I bought a yeah, Bedit, yeah, which yeah. is which is a passive. It's a little strip that you put on your bed, and it basically monitors you and when you're sleeping and all of that. And it's just it's totally passive. And the problem that I had with with it was you have to place it every time you change the sheets. You've got to replace it. It's got to have. It's got to be within Bluetooth range of your phone. And as you know, I don't actually keep my phone. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, if they did a Wi-Fi version, because the Apple Watch is on the Wi-Fi, so it talks to my phone when I'm wearing it. They did a Wi-Fi version of something like that or something I could put in a a pillow or something like that, something that was a little even more kind of fuss-free. But, you know, I used that Bedit for a little while, and it was – it just didn't kind of work right. Apple bought that technology, so who knows what they'll do with it. Um, But I would be open to something like that, but that's it. I mean, this is one of those, like, wholly-owned subsidiary companies. I bet it you can still get it. It's still a thing that exists, but Apple owns it, which is very weird. 
Yeah, and and in the end, I was not willing to move where my iPhone lives to be by my bed in order to use the bed. It so I just sort of gave up. Uh, Roger asks, do you think it's worth getting the AirPods Max dedicated mostly for surround sound movie watching? I've got small kids and can't really have my pair of HomePods blasting away at night. Uh, I'll say yeah. I really like the AirPods Max. I think they're great and they do a good job of the spatial audio stuff. They sound really good. Uh, If this is something that you really care about and you can afford it, um, I recommend doing it. It just seems like an easy recommendation to me. Yeah, I don't I don't have AirPods Max. You can use AirPods Pro to do this too and they don't leak too badly and um and so and they're cheaper. So, it really depends on your comfort level. Um but I I do watch shows at night sometimes with the with the AirPods Pro in and they're great. Yeah, will also work. Like it just depends on what you're looking for, but they will yeah. both do a good job. And finally today, Sims asks, have both of you been able to keep the same second-gen Apple Pencil since you bought it originally in 2018, or have you had to replace any of them since then? Huh. I haven't had one die. Yep. But I ended up, I ended up with two. Yep. And I, I can't tell them apart. They're not labeled. They're just Apple Pencil. Um, but they float around the house and sometimes I use one and sometimes I use the other and I'm looking, I'm, I'm like, I know that I left that one out there. Oh, there's one right here. And so I ended up with two of them and I just kind of use them interchangeably and I, I can't tell them apart. So, uh, that happened. They just keep multiplying that. That's it though. I, I they both work fine and I haven't had any troll. In fact, I, I, at some point I want to write a thing about this. I, I don't, I'm not quite sure what I'll say because that's sort of the point is the Apple pencil I know we said this at the time, but just after, I still use it to edit podcasts. I love it. It is the most non-technological tech product I've ever used. It feels like a solid object that has, there's nothing. Like the other day, it, it wasn't working and I realized I had to screw the tip in a little bit more. It had come unscrewed a little bit. That's the most effort that I've ever put toward the Apple Pencil other mm-hmm. than snapping it on the side of my iPad. Mm-hmm. And I, I just think it's remarkable. I think it's remarkable that it feels so non-technical. There's no light on it. There's no button on it. It's there's just nothing. I think it's great, but um, I, I have not had a failure of any kind with one. Same. I, I mean, I think the second gen Apple Pencil is one of the best things Apple's ever made. Like just yeah. from a like, hey, what is this thing supposed to do? And how? And like its ultimate execution. It's yeah. like it's perfect. It's absolutely yeah, the perfect. first one's got weird things about it, right? It, it, with the uh, with the lightning thing and the tip and all of that. But the second generation one yeah. is just kind of flawless. Gen one was fit for purpose, retrofit into a product that already existed. You know, like yeah. or like a form factor that already existed. Yeah. How do we charge this thing? <laughs> Gen two, they designed them together. Mm-hmm. And they, like, yeah, and exactly. It's fant- right. It's just fantastic for that. Yeah. yeah. The only and and I my only complaint about it is that I think the accelerometer that they put in it is not accurate enough for me to use those features the double tap thing uh, uh, yeah, yeah i miss double tap so i basically yeah. turned it off where i use it because i i just do it by accident i can't i can't trigger it reliably and i trigger it by accident so in neither case is it worth having it so i would say if they if they update this this at some point i would love there to be an alternate gesture of some sort um i would prefer it to be, I mean, it needs to be engineered differently than it is. I don't know whether that's a button or whether it's a touch-sensitive area or whether it's just a uh, better accelerometer or or what it is. But uh, I would really like 
to I like the idea of having a gesture on the device, um, but the gesture that they built I don't use because it's not reliable. Yeah, I would like to see two things if we're going to go button, programmable button, yeah, and uh, touch sense like a, a a not not touch sense a sensitive area on the opposite side for erasing. Oh yeah, yeah, that would be uh, that would be a lot of fun to have the alternate, basically an alternate uh, input side on the yeah. other side. Mm-hmm. A little two-headed pencil, a little two-headed pencil, but like a great, it's just a fantastic product. Well, you could use it as an eraser. Things, you could you could have apps could use it as a different type of pen, right? There are lots yeah. of different things you could do. Yeah, programmable, like the surface. double tap yeah. thing is. You know, exactly. you, different apps can use it in different ways. But like these things would they would just be nice to have for me that they don't need to yeah. do either of those like because it really is is so it's just such a good thing it it's it made is. so well super the good. simplicity just mm-hmm. it's amazing if you'd like to send in a question for us to answer on the show just send out a tweet with the hashtag ask upgrade or use question mark ask upgrade in the relay FM members discord which you can get access to if you sign up for get upgrade plus go to getupgradeplus.com and you will also get Longer ad-free versions of every single episode of Upgrade. So if you enjoy the show, you get more of it with no interruptions. Thank you so much to everybody that has signed up. Uh, All of you Upgradians, we really, really appreciate your support. Also, thank you to DoorDash, Memberful, and ZocDoc for their support of this week's episode. But most importantly, as always, thank you for listening. If you'd like to find Jason online, you can go to sixcolors.com, theincomparable.com. He's at JasonL on Twitter. I am at iMike, I-M-Y-K-E, and we both host here many shows at Relay FM. You can go to relay.fm slash shows and check out all of the great shows that we have to offer for you. So until next week, say goodbye, Jason Snell. Goodbye, Mike Hurley. Thank you.